This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hi, my name is Emily Joan Elliott, and I'm the Managing Editor of East Lansing Info. On today's episode of East Lansing Insider, a podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact Radio, I have Superintendent Dory Lyko of East Lansing Public Schools. Thank you for joining us today, Dory. How are you? Hi, Emily. Thanks a lot for having me. I am great. Good. So I know many people might know you from school board meetings and your weekly updates to families in the East Lansing district, and they understand that you lead the district, but I was hoping you could tell us what an average day as superintendent looks like, although I'm pretty confident none of the days look exactly the same. Uh, Yeah, uh, I sometimes, you know, if I was to look back and think about what I did uh, all day, it would be hard to sometimes really document that. And certainly, while I have some standing meetings or commitments, uh, every day really looks a little different. I, you know, I oversee the eight buildings in the district. I support our uh, administrators. Uh, Right now, we do a lot of COVID support and a lot of COVID education through learnings, you know, with, with Linda Vale and the Ingham County Health Department. You know, I've been in this role for not quite five years, and my entire time has also been uh, involved with the 2017 elementary bond proposals. So construction and construction decisions have taken up a lot of my time. Um, and board communication, family communication, supporting our teachers so that we can ultimately do best for our students. But there there would be no two days in the five years that would be alike. That's for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure you didn't anticipate becoming a public health expert and construction expert when you took on the job. <laughs> Certainly not. Those were very, uh, well, the construction piece at least was kind of anticipated when after we passed the bond, but never did I ever uh, have any uh, premonition that I'd have the understanding and the vocabulary around construction I currently have. And then, of course, I don't think any of us, you know, COVID and the impact of it uh, coming either. So they've been, yeah, two very big um, long-term events during my tenure in this role, for sure. Sure. Speaking of the pandemic, what was the most challenging part of leading the district during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, uh, I think... the the unknowns, you know, I think the the thing that was really constant is that things were always changing. We were making decisions based on the information we had, you know, day to day, and especially at the beginning. And and even as we move through the summer of 2020, information, um, data, uh, you know, environmental conditions and factors were changing daily. You know, we were watching recommendations from CDC and DHHS and Ingham County Health Department. But I think it's, you know, every time something changed or just as we got something in place, something changed and we'd have to take a step back and, you know, uh, think about our different options at that point, make a decision, communicate it based on the information we had that day. And then, uh, you know, knowing that teachers, students and families and our staff 
uh, you know, came came into the pandemic and through the pandemic, you know, with a range of reactions to it and, and emotions about it and really trying to accommodate the best we can, um, a wide range of responses to it and, uh, and request the needs of our people. And I think early on, or gosh, it was probably last summer, maybe even fall, where I, I gave a board presentation and talked about, you know, our six different groups of of individuals who, you know, parents and families who wanted online learning, parents and families who wanted in-person learning, teachers who, you know, really felt it safest to stay online, teachers who wanted to get back to the classroom, and then our students, you know, on both sides of it. So I think the hardest part was navigating it so that you felt like you were trying to address everybody's needs the best you could, although, you know, there really were never any winners in it. Right. I know it's been a difficult year and a half for for everyone, but were there any rewarding parts or moments you look back on that were maybe heartwarming during the pandemic? You know, I, I would say that our staff and community, even though um, some some of the decisions I think were hard to receive um, for many folks, there were a lot of individuals out there who, maybe not on social media or publicly, but would send me notes of encouragement and support, and and I'd always, you know, let them know. Gosh, I you know I so appreciated the time they took to do that. Um, it kind of kept me going, uh, knowing that that we were still needing to serve our kids and that there were folks saying, yep, yep, you're doing okay, keep going, and uh, recognized like the just the challenges of leading through something, you know, so unknown to us. So I, I know I think the other, you know, day that was just really heartwarming for me was in March when our kids did step foot back in school, you know, after being out for nearly a year and then having uh, those who elected to return this past March and just see, seeing, I would like to say seeing their faces, but they were masked. So seeing their expressions through their eyes uh, and talking to them about, you know, how, how it felt to be back was really a special time for me too. I can imagine. Is there anything in retrospect or hindsight you wish you had done differently or put another way, if you had one do-over for decisions made during the pandemic, what would it be? Yeah, you know, maybe a little bit around uh, sometimes I think it took a little bit of time for me to recognize that we had individuals outside of the school district who were, who had more expertise than I did around uh, you know, making decisions for extracurriculars. And, um, you know, sometimes it got left to the school district. And while I, I really support having local control over decisions like that, uh, I think it also sometimes put us in tough spots um, because it was viewed as opportunities that, you know, we were taking away from our kids if we if we followed a recommendation and put our kids on hold. Or if I went outside of a recommendation and came down a little tougher on restrictions than maybe uh, MHSAA or the health department did. And I think it took a little time for me to step back and realize that I needed to rely on the guidance um, and best practices and recommendations that were coming from those in the field. And while sometimes 
uh, it felt a little like nuanced because our community is different, you know, being, you know, immersed with uh, a college campus. Right. But uh, so I, I think there are times, but uh, that we maybe uh, were justified in having a unique response. I, I think I would have gone back and maybe not gone out on my own with some decisions early on and maybe stuck with uh, recommendations from organizations that had a lot, had more knowledge than me. Okay. So the last school year started virtually and then some students beginning in March transitioned to in-person, some remained online, but this year more or less is completely in-person. I think some students had a virtual option in conjunction with Lansing Public Schools. So how does this year compare to, you know, the last year and a half of learning? Yeah, um, a lot differently. Uh, you know, last year we navigated the online piece, but everybody, you know, was in it together. It was new. We had a lot more flexibility, though, in how we delivered instruction and the times we delivered instruction and uh, from the state in terms of waivers than we do now. And right. so coming back and, and I've, I've heard a lot of stories and anecdotes from parents and students about how impactful it's been to be back in person and how, boy, they didn't recognize how important the in-person, not just the instruction, but the connection with the teacher, the connection with peers really was. But I think uh, the, the biggest challenge is really trying to, you know, without any waivers this year for any kind of seat time or days or hours of instruction, trying to uh, go back to normal uh, as we knew it prior to the pandemic under not normal conditions yet. Right. It's not normal, you know, to for kids to be masked and to, uh, you know, have such limitations on socializing and being together, you know, during a school day um, and, and trying to make the conditions, uh, trying to make a somewhat some normal, you know, environment and learning and situations for kids when it still isn't normal yet. The the other piece I think you've seen in the news locally and nationally is staffing shortages have really made it more challenging. You know, we, we have some staffing shortages, but we're not nearly in the predicament or situation I've heard of some other districts being in. But in a year where I think we know we need more support for kids, we're working with less support just because of the the workforce that's out there and wanting to come to work in, in a school right. where we have many unvaccinated people very close together, you know, especially at the elementary level. Right, because elementary age students aren't eligible yet for the vaccine, although I know you reported last night that that might change within the next month or so. Yeah, we are we are super excited to see that uh, Thursday's you know recommendation from Pfizer and Biotech to go to the FDA for approval for a vaccine for ages five through eleven, and hoping that early November um, makes that approval official and and brings that availability and access to our kids. That will that will be a game changer for us. Right. So I remember it was probably late spring or early summer. You had elementary, middle school, and high school administrators give presentations that if they weren't officially titled year in review, that's more or less how I understood the presentations. And I remember some of the administrators saying the pandemic 
some of their practices had changed and some of them for the better. And they hope to maybe keep something like access to documents online, a constant thing. So are there things that changed during the pandemic that you'd like to continue going forward? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I think we did learn some things through through the pandemic that provided um, more equity and access. You know, I think we also saw the the flip side of that. You know, we saw both ends of that and we want to pull out the the ones that were, um, you know, more accessible and equitable uh, for families and students. And I think you mentioned one is, you know, having more materials provided online just so that if students are home, either sick or for another reason, they have access to materials. I think that's been a, a positive to be able to better keep up with their learning if they're not in the building. I also think one thing we really heard loud and clear from families and teachers is uh, having parent-teacher conferences be remote and offering those remotely for both accessibility for families um, if they have either transportation barriers or childcare barriers, uh, work barriers. You know, there might be an opportunity to get on Zoom for 15 minutes, you know, versus uh, leaving work and coming to a conference and, you know, going back or, or even getting there or having childcare. So we've, we've carried that over into uh, continuing here. Well, this week and next week is our first set of conferences. So we're, we're doing those mostly remotely unless, unless there are situations that in person, um, that there's an advantage to doing in person, but we still have COVID protocols in place too. So it's not entirely, um, you know, we, we aren't looking to bring people, lots of people into a building, into a space, if we can do it just as successfully in another way, which right. I think with conferences we can. So that was a big piece that um, parents just said, a lot of them said it, it, it's a lot easier to do conferences online and our teachers too. Yeah, I know that was brought up last night as well. And another thing that was brought up during public comments, and we've had a few readers right and that they've perceived an uptick in aggressive behavior among students and i was wondering if you've perceived an uptick in aggressive behavior or if you see students struggling with interpersonal skills since they've returned to the classroom yeah i th- you know i think we're dealing with um some maybe uh both in in quantity and intensity some behavioral needs and students who need different support than perhaps we would have seen before the pandemic it's really hard to isolate you know the the reasons for that whether right. it's pandemic related or not you know whether it's uh you know there's always a transition coming back for students in the fall where you know they're they're kind of relearning the expectations at school, um, but I, you know, but we certainly, I think, are are wondering if there's some, uh, you know, regulation skills and problem solving skills and just interpersonal uh, interactions that students, because they've been much more isolated uh, in general for the last year and a half, if uh, we need to do some more direct instruction and modeling and. Uh, you know, role playing of some of those skills, because I, I think we are seeing uh, some of the outcomes of isolated kids and not just isolation, but, you know, anxiety and stress and 
if you know kids are wearing masks, so trying to read other kids and and their facial expressions and their body language and some of what we are used to being able to do that may you know may result in a, in a different outcome. I think we're we're seeing some of those things uh, and and wondering how COVID related they are. You know, it's really right. hard to say for sure, but yeah, we we are seeing I think um, a greater uh, a greater level of student needs this fall than we have in the past. How does the district handle instances of physical violence? What would the consequences be in a circumstance where maybe a student injures another student or a member of the district staff? Sure. And, you know, every every situation, you know, when the laws changed a handful of years ago, anytime you're looking at a suspension or expulsion for a student, uh, there are seven factors that have to be considered. So I know that, you know, folks would like to see a if X, then Y kind mm-hmm. of, you know, a, a situation for for behavior and discipline. That's that's not how we operate. Every, every case is really individualized. And while there might be some guidelines for, you know, okay, there might be ranges in terms of uh, what a consequence may look like for a fight or for um, maybe something less than a fight that was just uh, in a physical um, interaction that was one-sided, you know, toward another student, we have to take into account and really not just take into account, but consider each of those seven factors, you know, like uh, the student's age, whether or not they have a disability, uh, their discipline history, um, whether or not... uh, restorative practices could be implemented um, as either a replacement or um, in conjunction with another consequence, um, whether whether the incident posed, you know, uh, any safety issues for staff or students. So all of those are taken into account when we come away with consequences. And we're in the education business, and, and it's a balance between teaching students about behavior and how to respond and how to work through conflict and also making sure that um, students feel safe at school. So, you know, we approach it for sure from a behavioral uh, repair the harm kind of approach. But we also know that, you know, for for safety reasons, there are times when, when a student um, both for their own safety and for the safety of other students may, may need to go home for, you know, a, a certain amount of time and then plan for a, a re-entry type of meeting where we could more explicitly lay out expectations, work through uh, repairing harm that may have been caused. But we aren't the criminal, ju- we aren't a criminal justice system. We're an educational system. So we really want to err on that side um, but we have to be thoughtful and making sure that in doing so, we're accomplishing that goal so that behavior changes in the future without putting others at risk. And, and it's just a balance. And sometimes you get it right. And sometimes you have to go back and redo it because what, what you thought might work may not work. Right. What does restorative practices or restorative justice look like in the district or in schools in general? Yeah, you know, we have uh, individuals who are trained in running restorative circles, um, restorative sessions where um, they would facilitate uh, conversation and discussion between the parties 
and, and both parties have to be willing. That's a key piece of this. You can't force um, folks into it. They really both have to be willing. Uh, sometimes the harm that takes place is with another student. Sometimes it's with an adult in the building. Um, sometimes it's with a class that's maybe observed or witnessed something that was traumatic to see. And it's about um, bringing those parties together to give each side or um, those involved an opportunity to share how, how it made them feel, um, try to build some empathy from both sides, and so that whatever damage was done um, can be repaired so that students feel safe. And, and we know they need to feel safe if they're going to be expected to learn. So it's, it's really about uh, making sure all voices at the table are heard and so that students and adults have a voice and so that uh, those who may have done some damage by behavior uh, have a better understanding from either peers or adults about the impact it actually had on others. Great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, sure. Sure. Switching gears for a moment, I know that the district has taken many steps to improve its work on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice for students. I wonder where you saw the district as standing in meeting those goals. You could talk maybe what achievements have been made and what work you want to focus on during this academic year. Sure. Yeah, this has been, you know, really a, a driving force for the district and, and guiding our goals and our work, at least, uh, you know, I would say all nine years in the district, but I've certainly played a different role in, um, in leading that work in the last, you know, five years as a superintendent. And, you know, probably one of the biggest moves we made uh, this past summer is in hiring a director of equity and social justice. And, Claudia Burton, who was a teacher at the high school, serves in that role for us. We had some amazing, just fabulous candidates um, and really took our time to, you know, speak with uh, many people in interviewing this summer. And, you know, some folks saw that, you know, I, I think, Emily, one thing I, I think you realize is I, I really want to be transparent with, you know, the decision making in the district as much as I can. And and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I, I hide things ever or not communicate things. And while some folks viewed this hire as a response to um, our situation in the spring with the social studies curriculum at the middle school, um, we've been talking about this position um, for a number of years, especially as we, as part of our work with the Minority Student Achievement Network, and we'd go to those meetings and hear about different districts who had a position um, and an individual who was solely focused on moving the work forward around equity and social justice within a district. And for quite some time, I, I didn't, wasn't in uh, support of moving in that direction because I really wanted to ensure that we as building leaders um, at every level owned the work. And I had this little bit of fear that in hiring someone to, uh, with that role, with that title, it would take the ownership off of us. And I certainly didn't want that to happen. And so I uh, finally kind of turned the corner this past spring and thought, you know, 
we can have both, you know, this, just because we have someone leading our work, we, we participated a, a number of cohorts, all of my administrators and a number of uh, teachers and staff throughout the district last year participated in a 16 hour training through the Justice Leaders Collaborative out of Washington ISD uh, titled The Core Course. And I think we, we came out of that with so many desires and tasks and wishes that that to me was what kind of tipped it to saying, we really need someone to help facilitate and lead this work in the district. It doesn't exonerate us from the work, but you know, for, for me and for Mr. Mitchum and for others, you know, that guided our work, but it was a slice of our, you know, it, while it guided all of our work, it still was a slice of actually completing, you know, tasks and working with people on the work that needed to be done. And so I think uh, our move in that direction, to me, has been a huge step because we've got someone in the district who is 100% committed to leading that work in the district and supporting our administrators and our teachers and Claudia has done a fabulous job with that so far in our work with the Justice Leaders Collaborative. I think we really found um, an organization, a group of individuals who spoke to us and provided professional learning and common vocabulary and understanding of history that we really want to collectively get to all of our staff. We started in the land of the willing, uh, especially this year in an, a year where we can't get guest teachers to cover, you know, right. classes during the day. So we've really started in the land of the willing people who want to step up and do this work and want to learn more. Um, but it's, it's such important learning. That's really, uh, I think changed the way many of us approach situations on a daily basis. Got it. With about three minutes left, is there something now that you have uh, Ms. Burden in this position that you'd like to see her and the entire administrative team do going forward to work on DEI issues? Yeah, I think two um, two specific uh, initiatives come to mind. One has been ongoing in terms of uh, rec- uh, attracting Uh, hiring and retaining staff that match the demographics of our students better. So increasing our workforce of of non-white and uh, and representing multiple demographics, not just race and ethnicity, but, um, you know, gender identity and and ethnicity and race, but really looking at diversifying our staff to to better align with the demographics and identities our students are bringing forward. So that's one, but that's not just on Mrs. Burton, that's on all of us. So we, we collectively own that. The other one that uh, Claudia is leading though through the district right now is utilizing our a tool called the EJAT and focusing on celebrations and you know what we're both what we're showing um, and and celebrating in classrooms and also images that we're portraying throughout um, curriculum the classrooms the school buildings so the one of uh, one of the the area that we've identified to work on first from the EJAT tool is called images and celebrations so that's what she's facilitating and guiding our social justice teams through right now. Sure. And what is the EJAT tool? It's a it's an audit tool that's broken down into, um, gosh, I think it's six different categories, but looking at 
policies around diversity, equity, inclusion, curriculum, instruction, um, and then this one is called Images and Celebrations. And so we're starting with the one component of this tool. It's a tool that comes out of um, the so or Justice Leaders Collaborative uh, designed by Shayla Reese Griffin and her colleagues um, in that group. Um, and it provides kind of an audit for us and also um, action steps in how to improve in each of those areas. Great. Well, we are just coming up on time. So I wanted to thank you again for joining us today. Again, this was Superintendent Dory Lyko of East Lansing Public Schools. And if you're interested in reading more of East Lansing Info's reporting on East Lansing Public Schools, you could go to eastlansinginfo.news. That's eastlansinginfo.news. And on the top bar, you'll see schools and you'll find our reporting there. Thank you and have a nice day. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.